And welcome everybody to another update of Smart Money Circle. I'm your host, Adam Sarhan. With me today is Ravi Venkatesan, who's the CEO of Cantaloupe, ticker symbol is CTLP, and also on the board of directors. Ravi, welcome to the show. Adam, I'm excited about being here and look forward to the conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So Ravi, I always like to begin. Can you tell us a little about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, look, I started my career in consulting, you know, spent seven years with uh, Accenture and I've kind of spent the rest of my career recovering from that. <laughs> you know, jokes apart, uh, it was a good grounding on, uh, you know, how to deal with large scale technology deployments, learned a lot about how to do the best kind of capital allocation when it comes to innovation. Went from there to a company called CBeyond, which was a, a cloud services company and that was doing more voice over IP and things like that and transformed themselves into infrastructure as a service and PBX as a service, uh, led IT for them. And then after a nice exit there, went to a company called Bridge2 Solutions, which was the market leader in loyalty rewards redemption. So kind of entered the payments and alternative currency space through that. Uh, eventually sold that company to Intercontinental Exchange, the, the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange, also merged it after that with a company called Bact, which was the market leader in crypto options and futures, uh, and then subsequently in loyalty as a result of this merger, uh, and then worked with them as their head of innovation. That company subsequently ended up with a SPAC exit and is uh, listed now as an independent public company. Um, in December of 2020, I took the opportunity to come join Cantaloupe as the CTO initially, and then have navigated through the COO, and then now as of October, the CEO roles here at Cantaloupe. And Cantaloupe okay. is, a, is a market leader in self-service commerce. Well, congratulations on becoming CEO. The next question, can you tell us a little about Cantaloupe and specifically some of the uh, unique value propositions that you offer? Yeah, so Cantaloupe is the market leader for technology that powers self-service commerce. And in plain English, anywhere where you experience purchasing either a product or a service, and you don't have a store clerk that helps you make that purchase, our technology powers that experience, right? So to give you an example, if you go to a massage chair at an airport and you make a payment and you experience a massage, well, there is a device that lets you make the payment in an unattended manner, we make that device, we process that payment, and then something has to tell the massage chair to run a specific cycle and give you a specific massage, we do that too. So we do that in, in massage chairs, we do that in laundromats, we do that at vending machines, we do that at uh, parking, we do that even if you go to a gas station and fill air in your tires, right? So that's that's one part of our business. The other part of our business is we also have enterprise cloud-based software that if you are running a business where you don't have boots on the ground. So in other words, let's say you run what's called a micro market in 10 office break rooms where people can grab, scan and go, right? There's a kiosk based checkout experience. We provide those kiosks, we provide that, that whole experience and also the backend software that lets you as, a, as our customer know, hey, what inventory do I have in my warehouse? What inventory do I have in different locations? When do I send somebody out so that I'm not getting there too early and all the shelves are already full and I wasted a trip and I'm not getting there too late and all the shelves have been empty for two days and I've lost sales. So our business really is a combination of what we call internet of things telemetry, which is, hey, 
make all these storefronts connected storefronts to the cloud, number one. Number two, offer digital payments and process them in an unattended self-service manner. Number three, provide the software that lets businesses power their entire workflow from the backend perspective. And number four, you know, do kiosk-based innovation. So consumers can help themselves make purchases and also use a rich set of apps that work on kiosks. I love that. That's fantastic. So I know today's, as luck would have it, we had to reschedule a few times unrelated, but it worked out in our favor because today we have a new acquisition. Can you tell us a little about that, please? And congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, I'm I'm very pumped and excited about it. I'm actually joining you today from the office of that company, which is based in River Falls, Wisconsin. You know, it's it's beautiful out here, snow and farmland and cows. Um, and you know, the, the company was a pioneer in building out what's called a micro market, right? And the micro market simply put is smart coolers and, you know, racks of products where you can grab sandwiches, you can grab fresh drinks, you can grab coffee, all kinds of things. And the checkout experience is using touch screens and they come in various form factors depending on the, uh, on the environment and depending on the size and scale of the micro market. And you can kind of do it all in one place. The payments are processed. You can also use things like payroll deduction. You can use a, an employer provided uh, badge and you know all those kinds of things. The company has a footprint of about 3000 market locations uh, across North America, as well as Europe. So it's it was very attractive to us because one, it offered us an opportunity to expand our European presence with a team on the ground, with salespeople, help desk, et cetera. And then it also offers us an opportunity to expand our presence in this micro market space where we had acquired another company last year called Yoke. And then that followed by this now gives us a full portfolio of form factors for these kiosks that can power that self-service experience. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. And my next question was, are you guys planning to expand overseas as well? But that answered the question. So, okay, wonderful. Um, so, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit to risk and risk management. How do you handle risk? Because you're wearing, you, your experience is fantastic because you come from the technology background, management consulting, which I like that you had to cleanse yourself out of all the way up to now becoming CEO. So you've seen risk, multiple sides of risk come from you at different factors. How do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? Yeah. So Adam, on the risk side of the business, like ours, when it comes to technology, your biggest risk tends to be being disrupted and not being disrupted by the large behemoth, you know, public company that's in your space or in an adjacent space, but risk from, you know, two kids in a garage that are trying to do something completely differently and reimagine and rethink how the business should work. So the way I like managing that risk is to make sure that there is, you know, even in the worst of times and even the best of times, there's a little pocket of investment and energy that is set aside to, to work on those moonshots, to work on those big ideas that could amount to nothing, but that could also be that next disruption that totally changes the way we do things. And we have a, you know, as a company, we've had that DNA. So we have a patent portfolio that exceeds 70 patents across all the different things that power the self-service commerce. And the reason we've been able to do that is by really encouraging our employees to go outside the box, come up with different ideas, innovate in a manner where 
we can actually patent it. We can protect our intellectual property, but we also incent and reward employees to do that. So that's how we kind of manage the risk around uh, disruption, particularly in technology. Now, I love that. You, the risk is coming from unforeseen or uh, you can get disrupted from places you don't even see. So that's that's yeah. interesting. Um, what are some timeless lessons you've learned along the way? Life lessons, business lessons that you'd like to share? Well, my number one life and business lesson is the same, which is, uh, you know, if it's good news, you can wait on it. If it's bad news, deliver it as soon as possible and as fast as possible, right? And I think the worst thing that uh, leaders in any business can do is to be opaque and to hide stuff and pull stuff under the rug. I mean, we see it all around us. It just creates a burden that you eventually crumble under, right? So uh, the approach I've always taken with my board, with my investors, with my employees is if it's bad news, I'm going to put the turds on the table as soon as possible and deal with them and move on. So and that's uh, that served me well in my career. That served me well in uh, places where I've operated. People always, um, you know, people don't always like bad news, but they always like hearing it early. Yeah, that's so smart. I love that. So what are some timeless mistakes you've either made or seen people make and how do you avoid them? So I think the from a business perspective, the one mistake I've seen people make is paint themselves into a corner from a cash flow management and a working capital management perspective. And I think especially for technology businesses, which are investment hungry, right? There's a lot of capital investment required. Not managing that that aspect of the business is something I've seen people make. And uh, I've made, and I've learned from it. Uh, I've been in situations where, uh, you know, I've found myself painted into a corner and then have to go raise money at terms which are unreasonable or extortion oriented. And so the way I've subsequently run businesses that I've been involved in is to manage that aspect of the business very, very carefully. So there's always enough buffer. There's always enough working capital. There's always enough cash to deal with ups and downs. Yeah, that's actually really, really smart. So almost like you're planning for the unexpected to make sure that it's it's you're prepared. Um, let's talk about the leadership role because you've ascended to become leader. You're now a great leader and you've just began your journey. And I'm really excited to see where this is going to take us and check in with you, hopefully year, year, year over year over year and see the growth on Cantaloupe. What makes a great leader in your opinion? I think there's a combination of two things. It's one, being humble enough to know that, you know, your both your success and failure have not too much to do with your competence at the end of the day. And there's a whole host of factors that you control and those that you don't control that uh, that come into play. And the other is, you know, it's the old saying of the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. So, you know, I tend to follow the philosophy of the harder I work, the luckier I'm going to get. And, uh, you know, at some at some point, it's just luck is just preparation meeting opportunity and it's bound to happen. Yeah, I love that. What about um, for me, I'm very big on the mental side of things and controlling the outlook and and the mental capital, if you will. What are some lessons you've learned there to how you overcome adversity? If you can share a story and, and the lessons you learned from it and, you know, what you recommend people do to help with their mental capital, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example from my previous gig so that I'm sharing less uh, you know, sensitive information about what's going on with Cantaloupe right now. But uh, at our previous gig, I found myself a couple of times in a situation where because of large, um, you know, because of high revenue concentration and losing one or two large customers, 
the company had to replace almost a third of its revenue and a couple of years in row, right? And when you're faced with that kind of a situation, it's either, uh, you know, you either overcome it or your lights out, right? So it's a, it, it becomes a survival imperative. And at that time, keeping yourself calm and then keeping the team calm and then still keeping your eyes kind of on the vision of what we're building as a business, as a, as a community, whatever the case may be, uh, is what I've seen often lets you tide that storm, right? And um, and in the last couple of cases that I've been through those, you know, when we look back, it looks like we pulled off a miracle. But when we were growing, going through it, it's it's about staying calm and putting one foot in, in front of the other and just uh, just moving on and moving ahead. That's so powerful. So not to get caught up in the moment, to be able to separate yourself, step back and be, oh, okay, this either matters or it doesn't, but keep moving forward, keep pushing yeah. through the pain, if you will. And then once you get through the pain, there's a pleasure on the other side of it. Is that kind of what you're saying? And keeping your eyes on kind of, you know, always doing forest for the trees and not getting uh, not getting swept up, especially when there's a crisis in play, right? You, the, the I think leadership a lot of times is about when the going gets tough and uh, when things look really dire and when you're in that valley of despair, as you might want to call it, is to take a step back and, and paint a picture for what the other side looks like and and get everybody motivated to focus on that versus go on kind of these vicious roller coasters of emotions and uh, you know and go downhill. Yeah, and that's really, really powerful. I love that. So um, what would be the best advice you'd like to give to your 30-year-old self or 20-year-old self or some of the best piece of advice? It could be more than one if you want. Uh, I, I think getting a little bit more humble. You know, when I look back, I was certainly way more arrogant and uh, thought a lot more of myself and my own capabilities when I was 30 than I do now. You know, now, <laughs> now I've taken enough um, you know, enough uh, rocks on the windshield or uh, lashes on the back, whatever metaphor you want to use to know that uh, there are times when I'm just not going to be successful and I'm just not going to be brilliant and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be stupid and I'm going to be idiotic and, uh, and that's okay too. So. Yeah, that's so powerful. I, I had the same exact thought too, because I'm lucky if I can tie my shoes in the morning, that's what I tell people now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just wear slip-ons and that's kind of works for me. So, yeah. um, okay, I love this, Ravi. So next question, painting an optimistic future and, and with the growth prospects with Cantaloupe and the large portion of the audience here are investors, professional and individuals. What message would you like to send to the investment community for Cantaloupe? Yeah, look, you know, investors in our company, like any other uh, in this environment where most fintech companies have corrected downwards by anywhere between 65 to 85%. And, uh, you know, software as a service companies have corrected similarly downwards, you know, 60 to 80%. It's just tough, rough ride for investors. And what I would say is, you know, dig into the underlying fundamentals of the business and dig into what the uh, what the medium and long-term look like because times are always going to change for the positive and the negative. When I look at our business, I think the future of commerce is self-service. And we are, if not the only one, we are one of a few companies, a handful of companies that can grow to become the global technology leader that powers self-service commerce. So the you know the opportunity in front of us is ginormous and is tremendous. 
And we've got all the kind of four elements that are needed to address it, right? Like I said, the internet of things, being able to take a storefront and connect it to the cloud, digital payments, small ticket, large ticket, card present, card not present, all of those, the enterprise software that can power self-service commerce. And then finally, the kiosk and point of sale based innovation where you're tuning that consumer interaction to be self-service oriented, right? So my message to investors would be look at those elements, look at what positions us to become that leader powering self-service commerce and look at how much of commerce is going to end up being self-service commerce with labor shortages, consumer preference changes, you know, all those secular tailwinds. No, I love that. So that's really powerful. Also with your point about it being down 60 or 70% the group, not specifically any one stock, that's rear view mirror. Like that's like driving doing this, but you know, the markets are forward looking mechanism. So if it's already gotten down, it's now cheap enough where, okay, fast forward three or five years, there's the risk reward is greatly in favor of the reward side of the equation, not, not the risk side. Absolutely. And look, you know, leaders like me are always going to be highly optimistic of the businesses we run, especially when we know the underlying fundamentals. Right. But as an investor, what I would always do is, you know, look at look at upside potential and downside risk and, you know, weigh the ratio, right? It's yeah. Because there's always, there's never a scenario where there's no downside potential and there's never a scenario where there's no upside uh, opportunity. You You just have to weigh the ratio. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And then payment-wise, are you looking to expand all over the world or just into Europe? Or is eventually the goal to get capture the whole world? So we have a phased approach to international expansion. And I, I joke about the fact that, uh, you know, we our strategy has been kind of like Chase Bank. We are very concentrated in North America. Most of our business is in the US and in Canada. But now we are embarking on a very systematic international expansion to take products and services that we've mastered in North America and then deploy them in other geographies. And we've got teams and partnerships and everything is in Europe and in Latin America, which is kind of the phase one for our international expansion. And then phase two will include APAC and Japan and you know a few other areas. And then phase three will be the rest of the world, but it's a methodical approach. Um, we want to make sure that every every step we take, we are on solid ground and, you know, we are building on rock and not sand. Yeah, that's very smart. I know you're the analysts are projecting at least for cash for to become positive by a big margin in two years in 2024, or a year and a half, actually. And that growth, I'm assuming, would just be more accretive to the both top line and bottom line. Is that correct? It, it will. And we are already like we were positive EBITDA last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we expect to be positive EBITDA as well as positive cash flow this fiscal year as well. And our fiscal year ends. June 30th. It runs July to June. Okay. Gotcha. Now I love it. This has been fantastic. Ravi, any final thoughts or anything I didn't ask that you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? No, I think you, uh, you covered a pretty broad swath. I'm, uh, you know, to reiterate, I'm very excited about the the future of self-service commerce in general and uh, how we as a business are positioned to lead the market in providing technology for that. And so, you know, thank you for your time and uh, really enjoyed doing this. Likewise, and I found it, I'm sure the audience is going to love it, but thank you kindly. And hopefully we'll have you on again soon. All right, Adam. Thank you.